Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Amr Nassar, Dr. Kai Chow, and Dr. Helen Shun, who are residents at Harvard Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Amr is a second-year independent resident. He's originally from Jerusalem. He completed medical school at the University of Seged and his general surgery residency at the University of Washington. His academic interests include craniofacial, microsurgery, aesthetics, and gender-affirming surgery. Kai is a second-year independent resident. He's originally from Molokai, Hawaii. He completed college and medical school at the University of Hawaii and general surgery residency at UT Southwestern. His academic interests include breast reconstruction, microsurgery, and aesthetics. And last but not least, Helen is an intern. She's originally from Portland, Oregon. She completed college at Gonzaga University and medical school at Johns Hopkins. Her academic interests include surgical innovation, 3D printing, microsurgery, diversity, and inclusion. Amr, Kai, Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I'd love to get started by hearing a broad overview about your program at BIDMC. The Harvard BI, we have two tracks. We have the traditional six-year integrated track, which is relatively new since the split with MGB, as well as the three-year independent. And we're currently accepting one integrated resident per year uh, with approval to accept two shortly. And we take two independent residents or fellows per year which we will continue to do even as we grow and the number of integrated residents increases. We're currently at two integrated residents and six independent. For the integrated track, how much plastic surgery experience do you get across the first three years? In the first three years, there is actually six months of plastic surgery in the first two years. And by PGY3, all of the residents are exclusively on the plastic surgery service. And the way it's set up is that the plastic surgery Rotations are sandwiched between the other rotations, which include trauma, anesthesia, dermatology, breast transplant, vascular, ICU, oculoplastic surgery, and pediatric surgery. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those non-plastic services? As an intern, my intern experience has been pretty incredible. I really enjoy how the uh, plastic surgery blocks are sandwiched between the other ones. So I end up taking care of the same patients, but on different teams, which is a really interesting perspective. And as far as the general surgery culture, a lot of them are very well aware that I am a plastic surgery intern. And so they specifically look for cases where um, they think the learning would be optimized for me. So what are some of the different sites that you rotate through? So we spend the majority of the time at the downtown Boston campus. It's obviously a large level in trauma center. It's split up into two campuses. I'd say we spend about 75% of our time there. But we also operate at Boston Children's Hospital, uh, a bunch of community outpatient surgical centers within the BI system. We operate at Mass Eye and Ear, and this is for oculoplastics as R3s and R6s. And then a lot of private offices. So there's a good mix of large academic-based surgery as well as like fast-paced surgery center and office-based ORs. Is there any experience at a VA or a county hospital equivalent? We don't go to a VA. The county hospital for the Boston area would be BMC. At BI, we'll see any set of patient population from a very late stage, 
reconstructed patients. You know, it is a large quaternary referral center linked with now a huge network across the state. So we have patients that not only are referred from within our health system, but within the whole northeastern region as well. So you have your new integrated tract, the independent residents. How so far have you been like integrating between the two? Do you work together? Is there any kind of mentorship going on? Stuff like that. So during my plastic surgery rotations, I was welcomed with open arms by Kai, <laughs> swallowed into the team. So it, there really is not a huge difference between the tracks. It's just based on uh, our roles and responsibilities and how we can contribute to the team based on our education level. And can you tell me what call is like? Yeah, so we share hand call 50-50 with orthopedic surgery. This is both at the BIDMC campus as well as Boston Children's. And for face call, we take sort of full face trauma at BIDMC 24-7, except for mandible fractures that goes to OMFS all the time. And for children's, we take full face call, including mandibles 24-7. So do you get to do any adult mandibles? We don't unless they come at children's, and actually children's accepts patients up to the age of 35. I should say technically, yes, we do, but we don't do adult mandibles at BIDMC, although we have been traditionally encouraged to go and operate with the OMFS services. Some of the attendings there don't have residents. The closest OMFS residency is actually BMC, and their attendings come from there to operate at BI, and so sometimes their residents don't come, and so the cases are often understaffed, and so we're encouraged to go and operate with them. But our volume is so high that we rarely need to. And what's the mid-level support like? I would argue that we have the best mid-level support of any program. We have six amazing women. It's a mix of NPs and PAs, and they cover the gamut of plastic surgery from clinic to rounds floor duties, which includes doing the notes, answering floor pages, discharging patients, writing discharge summaries. And then they also operate alongside us. They scrub uncovered cases and in a way allows us to focus on index cases and do what we feel is more interesting. And the best part is they're just like good people. We hang out with them outside the OR. And do you have any opportunity, like in the later years, to pick electives, either the ones that you do within your institution or the opportunity to like actually go travel somewhere and do an away rotation? We do. We have one month of built-in elective as chiefs, and currently we're trying to expand that for probably up to uh, another one or two months. So hopefully it'll be two or three months total the next several years. We have a built-in sort of uh, away elective in Bermuda which we're starting this year. So each chief will get to go to Bermuda for one month. And Mass Ioneer is a built-in elective. Uh, and we're trying to also change some of the other mandatory rotations into built-in electives just to have the opportunity to seek more experience in whichever fields that we're most interested in in our final year. Could you spend another month away somewhere? I think theoretically you could. The ACGME credentialing becomes a little bit more challenging if and don't quote me on this, but if you're spending a month outside of the city of your training, then you need specific ACGME credentialing. If you spend more than 30 days away from your institution, regardless of its location, you also need specific ACGME credentialing. And so by going to Bermuda, we had to get it as an approved site. And that takes months, if not years, to get that approval. And so it becomes a little bit challenging. The other factor that comes into play is 
being able to meet your case numbers and graduating with enough cases, which fortunately for us is not a problem. And so we could theoretically go do an away somewhere like in China, which has been recommended for us. And even if it's not approved by the ACGME, it wouldn't really matter because our operative numbers are so high that we would graduate with hard numbers, even if we don't take that rotation into account. What do you do in Bermuda? So we have a prior Harvard plastic surgery alumni who is currently working there. And we haven't been there yet. This is our first year going. But from my understanding, we're going to be doing the whole gamut of plastic surgery. He does all the reconstruction in Bermuda, as well as bread and butter plastic surgery, and then a more private practice-based elective cosmetic outpatient practice. And I think we're going to be doing uh, all of that, probably enjoying some sunshine too. Do residents ever have the opportunity to go on like a shorter, more like mission trip experience? I think the answer is yes, although COVID has made that very challenging. Traditionally, we've had one attending who goes to Ecuador every year, and I've inquired about going along with him. But again, I think the pandemic has made it very challenging for us to travel abroad right now. Certainly when things open up, then that'll be an opportunity. And we also have that opportunity through Boston Children's Hospital, who typically do travel for cleft and pediatric cases worldwide. And then what is the a cosmetic experience? It's amazing. Our PD is also the co-director of the Aesthetic Fellowship. So we get a lot of exposure. We have dedicated cosmetic blocks during our senior years. And this allows us to just be exclusively on cosmetics. But in addition, we have a bunch of cosmetic cases sprinkled in each week. And that's across the attendings. So we can take advantage of that no matter what level resident you are. And then we also hired another full-time dedicated aesthetic attending. So I mean, things should pick up and get even busier. With, And that's just at the main BI campus. Because as you know, most cosmetic cases are done in the outpatient surgery centers, which we do cover as well. But those are just at, at the main campus. We do have a chief resident clinic. And that's similar to most programs. You can book cosmetic cases, you recruit these patients on your own, and these patients get the benefit of discounted fees. We also have quarterly injection clinics. So we learn how to do Botox, uh, fillers. And then we also have all the adjuncts that you would need in, in a cosmetic practice. We have in-mode, radiofrequency, cool sculpting, and all the lasers. How many months do you get in the senior years? Three months and as an R5 and an R6. And what is your experience like with gender affirmation surgery? Exposure to gender affirming surgery is actually quite robust. We get plenty of top surgery experience both at BI and Children's, and we have a bottom surgery program at Children's where we perform phalloplasties and penile inversion vaginoplasties. We don't quite get a lot of volume in facial feminization, but we're actually currently working now on including this in our aesthetics block with a local surgeon who does all of the facial femme in Boston and who's a world leader in this field. So hopefully in the near future, that'll be incorporated into our aesthetics block. Are there any fellows that you work with at any sites? Yeah, we have subspecialty fellows, including one micro fellow and three hand fellows and one aesthetics fellow. All those are BI. And then we have one to two pediatric craniofacial fellows at Boston Children's, depending on the year. And generally, how's the relationship with the fellows? I think the relationship's been quite great so far. 
we all sort of work in sync with one another. I don't think they detract from our education. The attendings are very good at making it clear that we it is also our education and training too. Typically, we're, for example, in cosmetic cases, we're dividing the case up. If it's bilateral, we're each doing our side. And if it's more of a complex reconstructive case, like a micro case, then depending on your year, then you are doing graduate autonomy type of structure where you're gradually taking on more operative responsibility. Uh, and a lot of times attendings are in the background there to assist us and help us and guide the fellow take us through the case. That actually goes into my next question, which is how does the program manage like resident operative autonomy? And as an example, if you could walk me through what each year gets to usually work on during a deep. I'll tell you about the general sort of resident autonomy, because I think it's important uh, to remember that we have six independent residents at BI are considered fellows. And that's an important distinction because we've all completed a full surgical residency, are all board eligible or board certified. So that distinction allows us to time out our own cases, start our own cases without the attendings. And the staff understand that. So I believe autonomy should be earned, but you know, at the same time, it is very graduated, but it happens very quickly at our I think on the junior level, it's also graduated. And for the most part, I think it mirrors the senior path. So they're getting in there early, they're getting there often, and they're getting to do quite a bit. In terms of the deep, as we do a lot of deep flaps, and so we have a lot of high volume, like Kai said, it forces us to get in there and get our feet wet really fast. In general, as soon as you're starting you know, your first year independent, or if you're an R4, because we do have some visiting R4s, you're immediately assisting in the flap dissection and doing some of the micro. And as an R5, you're doing more of the flap dissection and most of the micro. And as an R6 or chief, you're essentially leading the flap dissection and leading the micro. And this is the level of time that's expected by the time you get to those years. Now, let's talk a bit about research. So what are some of the research expectations and also the opportunities? Research is definitely one of the huge reasons why I'm so excited to be here. From an outsider perspective, it's incredible that BI is actually where Integra, J&J COVID vaccine, and the deep flap was developed. So it has a very rich history of innovation. And BI itself actually sits in the Longwood campus. And within this medical campus is the Harvard School of Medicine, School of Dentistry, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, Weiss Institute of Engineering, and the Massachusetts Institute of Art. And so you can just cross the street and hit the world experts in a lot of different areas. And they also have a ton of resources available outside of the department itself. So there's Health Technology and Exploration Center, the first program for surgical innovations. And as far as the culture within the department itself, the expectations are set by you. And so whatever you're interested in, there's just an abundance of, of support from faculty and co-residents as well. The example I always like tell my friends and my family now, my, the first week of residency, I walked in um, and I said, I told an attending that I had like a 3D printer with me and a ton of stuff to see in my living room. And he just goes, do you need lab space? How much space do you need and when do you need it? No questions asked. He just offered his full support. And then in terms of some of like the logistics of either conducting the research or presenting, what's available in terms of stats support, help with IRBs, lab minions, et cetera. And then also once you are ready to present at, let's say, like a conference. 
So like Helen mentioned, our faculty are all very academically productive, and that sort of encourages us to be academically productive as well. They all have multiple research fellows, which are usually either postdoc fellows or IMGs who are coming to the country trying to get into the medical field. That um, allows us to work quite closely with them. Most of them have statistics training, and so we lean on them to help us with our statistics. In terms of funding, we have allocated funding every year for academic travel and presentations. There are specific meetings that we're sponsored to go to, uh, depending on our R level. So for example, R5s will go to the ASRM AHS meeting, which Kai and I are going to this year, and the R6s will go to the ASPS or the meeting. So that's them keeping in mind that the R6s are looking for jobs and the ASPS meeting is a great place to network. So all this is done intentionally from our leadership and faculty. So those two ones you get, regardless of if you're presenting at them or not, how about in the early year, years or if you like get something accepted? I think we actually have other meetings that we get regardless if we're presenting. Like there's one for PGY3s, one for PGY4s. I'm not 100% sure which ones they are. But we also, if we have something accepted, then we're encouraged to travel. And I think we have a budget to, to spend on accepted papers for travel. Is there any limit on that? There is, I think, a limit for the larger conferences like the ASRM, AHS, or ASPS, or I think it's $1,500 or $2,000. I think the limit per conference where we have an accepted paper or poster is $500, but don't quote me on those numbers. Any limit on the number of conferences you could potentially go to in a year? There isn't really quite a limit as long as you're not hindering the team dynamics and cases aren't going wildly uncovered. And then how about any other particularly awesome perks you'd like to share? I think like most programs, you have the the local discounts for being a healthcare worker. But I think what's unique is BI is the official hospital of the Boston Red Sox. So we essentially get free tickets to every home game. All we do is show up after the first inning and you can buy up to two tickets per person for five bucks. So it's basically free and it's pretty fun. Sometimes we'll finish work early, and it's like a 10-minute walk from the hospital. We'll go there as a little group, catch a game. It's a good time. As far as a food stipend, we do get a $600 food meal card for the BI campus. It's not a lot, but it's definitely appreciated. And our clinic is always full of snacks and drinks as well. Funding for loops is available. It doesn't matter what year you are, you get a pair of loops, including a headlight, and that's reimbursed. It's definitely a luxury. You don't see this at every program. In addition, we get up to $250 from Stryker for craniofacial textbooks. So there's quite a lot of built-in things for us. And then I guess, how about anything like cadaver labs or micro courses? So we have uh, combined Harvard cadaver labs, which we actually just had last week. That was an extremity lab, upper and lower extremity lab, where we had multiple faculty from different institutions come and take us through. I think we had a total of 15 upper extremity specimens and 15 lower extremity specimens, and that was an unbelievable experience. I think I dissected out nine or 10 different free flaps on each extremity. And then we have a craniofacial wet lab, which is a craniofacial cadaver lab once a year, as well as a dry lab, which is a, an artificial a skeleton lab once a year as well. I also have to add for the perks, the new clinical space is literally the most beautiful space I have ever been in. 
It opened this year. It's completely fresh. And Dr. Bernie Lee, like, handpicked every single tile that went in every corner. And it's just such a well-thought-out space. And Kai is totally right. It is it is stacked with snacks at all times and coffee and espresso machine. And you'll never go hungry or thirsty or under-caffeinated there. Since you mentioned them, can you explain a little bit more about the relationship between the other Harvard Plastics Residency and your program? I think we have a great relationship. We are now just getting to know each other because during COVID, we were having uh, all our combined core crunch and core curriculum and grand rounds remotely, but it has now been transitioned into in-person every Wednesday. So we get to uh, all go to Shriners, get to know each other. We usually have breakfast afterwards. We also do certain rotations together, especially at Children's. We overlap there and we'll probably overlap at Mass Ioneer. We also attend different cadaver labs together as well as rep dinners. And so we build a quite a good relationship between the two programs. We hang out outside work and at work. And I think it's just the beginning of probably a long and great relationship. And what area of plastic surgery would you say you come out with the strongest experience in? I'd say we're probably the strongest in breast recon, micro, and aesthetics. But that's not to say we're deficient in any other aspect, but it's to say that you absolutely do not need to spend another year in a fellowship to feel competent in these areas. I would say that those who do pursue an additional fellowship or training are those who are interested in joining an academic practice down the line, but it's a very broad training. And I think everyone who graduates is more than comfortable doing any general plastics. And how would you improve your program? I think every program has room to improve and ours is no different, honestly. I think we can certainly work on streamlining our chief resident clinic a little bit more, maybe try to obtain dedicated block time for the chief resident clinic, which would be which we used to have in the past, but got taken away during COVID for obvious reasons. Also, I think changing some of our chief rotations and making them more elective-based helps us tailor our education to our specific needs. Like we talked about before, we are currently in the process of hopefully uh, getting some more elective time as chiefs and cutting down on the more mandatory type rotations. That will help us tailor our last year to whatever our future practice is going to be. So now I'd love to transition to hear about your leadership. So your chief and your PD and or any other notable faculty you'd like to mention. So we have incredible leadership. I'm involved as a mentor in a mentorship program for other international medical graduates. And I recall in one of the meetings with Dr. Chaikoff, he his comment during that meeting to IMGs that it was immensely inclusive and supportive. Similarly, I don't think we can ask for a better chief than Dr. Bernie Lee. Anyone who's ever met him or works with him, I think would agree with me. He's a phenomenal surgeon. He also has the tools to teach you his skills and pass on that knowledge. He's also an incredible leader outside the operating room and invests really every aspect of our professional development. And having someone like that during training, I think, is probably one of the greatest assets of program. I'll say a little bit about our PD. So Dr. Samlin is our program director and also the co-director of the Aesthetic Fellowship, along with Dr. Slavin. Um, and like Bernie, he's an amazing mentor, both in and outside the hospital. We spend a lot of time with him at the main campus. We, he operates three or four days there. And Sam is double-boarded in ENT and plastic surgery, and I think that puts us in a unique position because he sees a lot of patients with functional ENT complaints, namely nasal airway obstruction, 
So we do a ton of septoplasties, which as you know, is the first part of a rhinoplasty, and we get very comfortable with the nose early on. And it's not uncommon for him to do six rhinoplasties a week. And so we get very comfortable, very familiar with that. And he also does head and neck recon. So you don't see that in a lot of programs. It's usually exclusive ENT. So I think we're lucky to have him. Can you tell me about a time when you brought up an issue to the leadership and how they responded? I think, like I said, you know, every, every program has its issues and just a matter of how they deal with it, especially coming from general surgery. I've been accustomed to, to this fact. We had an issue where the schedule wasn't released until a week before each month, just because things were a little bit hectic. And we asked to be able to make the schedule ourselves so six months in advance, and we're allowed to do that. And I think as long as your requests are reasonable, there's room for change. Both Dr. Lee and Dr. Lin are very attuned to the times and want to truly make this one of the greatest programs that are out there. And what kind of a role do residents play in department decision-making, more so when it comes to choosing new residents or even faculty hires? We don't play much of a role when it comes to the bureaucratic decisions, and I think that's a good thing. It sort of shields us uh, from all the bureaucracy and politics. When it comes to new resident hires, the, the chiefs will usually help in the interview process, and we will be there and available for the social events uh, and also give our feedback back to the program director, our, our chief, and our other faculty. When it comes to faculty hires, our only faculty hire that uh, we've had since most of us have been here is Dr. Ashley Bustani, but she did also did her fellowship here. She was very well loved and very well respected by everyone, and I think that was very um, obvious to the to our leadership and our program. And do you foresee any other like upcoming changes in faculty in the next few years? Like, are there any particular types of surgeon you're looking to hire, or any other transitions that may be coming up the pipeline? I can see us adding maybe one or two faculty over the next couple of years. I don't uh, know of anyone retiring. We're growing. Our West Campus is expanding. We're, we're adding more operating rooms. We just acquired a new outpatient surgical center, so we'll have lock time there as well. There is an additional urology attending, I believe, coming. So we'll be doing bottom surgery at BI. So things are good. Growth is good. And how does your program promote diversity and inclusion and or help you de develop into a culturally competent resident? So I think what's really impressed me is how much the top actually cares and how this actually affects our day-to-day -day practice. Dr. Bernie Lee is just one of those transformational leaders who has this vision of what the program should be. And diversity for him and Dr. Lin is really critical. And you can see them actively making that effort by recruiting very diverse people. As far as the culturally competent resident, I think within the residency residence right now, everyone is just so interesting. If you sat down with Kai and asked him about his company, or if you sat down with um, Amr, they just have the most incredible stories. And there's time for us to actually share these stories and perspectives with each other. And that's something that I really enjoy in this program. You have a company? I had a life prior to residency. I was a commercial fisherman up in Alaska and now run a fish processing plant up there. Awesome. And how would you describe the general like vibe or culture amongst the residents? I think overall we're a pretty close bunch. We tend to gather in the resident room at off times. I 
very often walk over from Children's to BI literally just to hang out with these guys and to hang out with the uh, APPs uh, just because we're all very friendly and very good terms. We also set up off hours and off work events and regularly go out for drinks. We've had sushi nights. We go to baseball games together. I walk over to Fenway Park and, and such. And I think overall, it's been a very nice group of residents to hang out with and fellows. We actually hang out with the micro fellows, aesthetic fellows, hand fellows quite regularly as well. What are some of the qualities of a resident who would fit well? Well, to pass the vibe check, as the kids say nowadays, I think you just have to be a normal person. Uh, There's no egos here. There are no gunners. There's no stepping over colleagues. People just lift you up here. I think street smarts over book smarts. But at the same time, you got to be a hard worker. You got to be self-driven here, self-motivating. You got to have a good attitude, but most importantly, you just got to be a good and reliable person. Amr, you already mentioned that you're an IMG, and you also mentioned that you know, some of the faculty have IMG fellows. So if you could just speak a little bit more on your path to getting here and in other ways that the department supports IMGs. The Department of Surgery is quite big at BI, as you mentioned. So they support IMGs by taking preliminary residents into the general surgery program. We obviously don't have preliminary residents. We just take independent or integrated categorical plastic surgery residents, obviously. And I don't think that Dr. Bernie Lee or Dr. Sam Wen care one way or another if you're an IMG or not. All that really matters is who you are. I'm the only IMG in the program now, but we are also only a program of eight. I think that's a pretty good percentage right there. And I do know historically that we've taken IMG fellows. Specifically, two years ago, we had an aesthetics IMG fellow, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that they're certainly open to supporting you, depending on, you know, the kind of person you are and not really where you're from. And now I'd like to hear a bit about how residents live in Boston. So do most own or rent? Definitely rent. uh, And that's barely affordable in Boston. So if you're coming here, you're not going to be taking home much of your paycheck after rent, food, and lifestyle activities. Sure. And so mostly apartments or do people also like rent houses? I think almost exclusively apartments, uh, unless I'm mistaken, almost everyone has apartments, including fellows. And those are all more or less quite close to the hospital, except me. I'm a little bit further away, and that's in Seaport. I would highly recommend people looking here if they move to Boston. So you said most people are pretty close to like your main site, and then how far away is a drive to some of the other sites? We do operate in quite a few outpatient centers. I think the furthest drive is probably, without traffic, about 20 minutes. We're not there every day, and it's nice because you're, I don't know if that's the right term, but you're reverse commuting. So when you're going there in the morning, you're leaving the city and there's no traffic. And when you're coming back in the afternoon, you're returning to the city and there's no traffic. So it doesn't really uh, affect your lifestyle that much. It's nice to see how these surgery centers operate and their efficiency compared to main hospitals. What's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and having kids? So none of us have kids that I know of, except for our new aesthetic fellow. But I would say it's a mix as far as relationships. I say most of us are in a happy, healthy relationship, and that's because our schedule allows for it, which is very important in a program. You got to have time. I have to say, Kai has maintained a relationship between himself and his girlfriend who currently lives in Texas over the past two years. Impressive. 
so then I guess it might be hard to comment on like specifically maternity paternity benefits or like how the program adapts if someone has to take time off for pregnancy. Actually, that's a conversation that we had as soon as I got here, not because I'm planning it anytime soon, but I think it's a very good marker to see how progressive a program is. The official policy is in terms with ACGME, but there's a lot of internal support from the department itself for maternity leave. Is it necessary to have a car? I would say yes, especially if you want to live more than 10 minute walking distance away, especially in the winter. Like Amber said, we are at multiple outpatient surgery centers. However, we do have one independent resident who does not have wheels. And I, I believe he's calculated the cost of you know, owning a car for insurance, gas, payment, parking versus just Ubering. And it's probably he may save a little bit by walking to work as well. So I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but I highly recommend it, especially if you want to do something. We have so much free time on the weekends. I also have no wheels, and that's by choice. The Boston drivers are notoriously a little bit aggressive, but it hasn't been as bad as I expected coming here. But I usually do just walk to work every day. There are city bikes on every corner of the city. So when I want to go somewhere a little bit far, like to Seaport, I'll just rent a bike and I just bike there in 15 minutes. And then there's a lot of car rentals too. So if you do want to do a getaway, you can just rent a car. And so what are some things that you like about living in Boston? I think the things I like are it's on the water. I love being on the water. It's obviously it's Boston. It has amazing history, museums, restaurants, and international community. There really is something here for everyone if you look for it. I think I meet the most interesting people here. Like coming here, I expected to be just blown away by music and art culture and all the food but what has surprised me is how friendly everyone is and how you can actually learn something from everyone just now i was at cvs and i was waiting in line to check out and i just started talking to this person who is a nasa scientist and he was just telling me like how he got started and everything and so it's such a it's such, it's such a rich culture here and there are a ton of outdoor things to do there's mountains there's hiking like Amherst said, the ocean's there. You can do day trips to Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, and we have all the seasons, all the colorful changes you would expect. There's every professional sport from football, hockey, baseball, basketball, and we get to take advantage of these and even go as groups, so it's, it's pretty fun. And speaking of seasons, because it is fall, there is no pumpkin spice latte shaving around here. I feel like having a PSL and watching like leaves change. Do you guys do that? Don't you go leaf peeping? I actually took it very seriously last year. I was following the foliage calendar online and waited until they had an accurate prediction of when the most amazing foliage or the peak foliage would be. And then I traveled up to Vermont and New Hampshire and did a two day over a weekend trip. And it was spectacular. The colors are unbelievable. The thing is, it only lasts for about a weekend or maybe like five days, the peak season that is, and it is extremely busy, but the colors are remarkable. So I think that's about everything I wanted to talk about today. So any final thoughts about either your program or the process of choosing a residency? I think we have a great program here. The one thing that I think makes us stand out is 
despite how amazing our faculty and program are, they're always thinking of ways to try to make it better and always innovating, always improving, always asking for feedback. And I think that really stands out. As far as advice for prospective applicants, I think definitely just be your most genuine self and it will work out. I know it doesn't feel like that going in right now, but trust me, (laughs) it definitely worked out for me. And also just study yourself. I think we spent like the last four years in medical school studying everything except ourselves. And then during interviews, you realize how little you actually know where you are right now. So during interviews, I kept a little notebook and wrote down like my values that I was learning. And also like fun facts about myself. So I always had something ready when I got asked. And how can interested applicants find out some more about your program? They can always reach out to us either through our website or follow our Instagram. It's at BIDMC, Harvard PRS. You can also feel free to reach out to any of us individually. I have my Instagram as well, Dr. Amar Asar. Kai has his Instagram, which is coconut.md. And Helen has her, her Instagram, which is surgeoneer. Great. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.